Hello and welcome. You're listening to The Toddcast, The Teacher Podcast, an informative podcast that explores a variety of teaching and educational experiences while still offering insights into improving and upskilling teachers. Join your host, Todd Broadbent, as he explores the wide and varied lives of educators from every sector, exploring fundamental concepts that are pivotal to good teaching, while also discussing the lighter side of the educational sector. Welcome to the Toddcast, the teacher podcast. For the 39th episode of the Toddcast, the teacher podcast, I had the wonderful opportunity of interviewing fellow podcaster Katie Street. Katie has had many wonderful and amazing experiences in her career so far, from completing her training in the UK and teaching in the junior area, to moving to Australia and becoming an early years educator for several years, to now moving into education design and marketing. This latest move enables Katie to affect change in the wider education industry. Katie has her own teacher podcast called Cold Coffee No Glue Sticks, having wonderful and amazing conversations with teachers and educators. If you haven't already, go and check it out. Throughout this episode, Katie will be sharing her educational journey, the reasons why she decided to become a teacher, the greatest challenge and proudest moment as a teacher, her career in early years education and tips when teaching in this area, her new role in education design and marketing, a discussion about her podcast, Cold Coffee No Glue Sticks, and so much more. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, Katie. Welcome to the Toddcast, the teacher podcast. How are you? Hi, thanks for having me. I'm good. I'm a little bit nervous. It's very different being on the other side. Not sure what kind of guests I'm going to be, but fingers crossed I'm as good as you were on my podcast. No, I'm sure you'll be absolutely outstanding, Katie, and I'm looking forward to having a chat. And it's great to actually talk to another podcaster. Uh, we feel like we've got a bit of a connection there. So no, really looking forward to talking about your career and everything you've been doing so far. Thank you. Very exciting times. I know it's nice and early podcast right here, but have you had a highlight of the day? If not, have you had a highlight of your week so far? Oh, that's a really good question. I think my highlight of the week, I've been really busy with the podcast this week and I've met so many different amazing people and so many cool teachers and exciting educators and people that really want to share their practice, their resources, their experiences, and then continue that connection after the episode recording. So it's just like, it's been weeks of continual highlights for me, really. Yeah, no, <laughs> I love that. Awesome. Yeah. Perfect. I think you said you've done like six in the last week or something like that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, I've got to this end of the week and I've still got, I've got two to go today and one tomorrow. And honestly, I'm, I'm talked out. So I'm trying to keep the energy up people. So I hope it comes across. No, you're smashing it. I don't know how you can do so many at once. I've got two today and I feel like I'm under the pump. So. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess it's like being a teacher, isn't it? Like you have to keep that energy up for six, seven hours at a time. So a podcast should be nothing really. Exactly right. <laughs> and then uh, going back to when you're a student, what were you like? I loved school. I had a really, really good school experience. I was one of those kids that um, always wanted to get it right. I would do anything to get my teacher's approval. I think school really suited the way I was as a learner. Um, so it was quite easy for me to be good at stuff all the way through school, actually. I've always loved 
stories and literacy and then I kind of I bought that interest through university I did a, a undergrad degree in linguistics and language which was super interesting and then from that I kind of developed a bit of a focus in phonics when I went into teaching but in school when I went into high school always loved learning had a great relationship with most of my teachers and then kind of when I must have been about 16 when, you know, when stuff starts getting a bit harder and you're relying on assessments to figure out where you're going to go in the next step of your life. I guess the learning changed a little bit and I had to actually put some effort in to making sure I got good marks and I wasn't used to that. Mm -hmm. So my grades took a bit of a dive, um, not so much in GCSE because I grew up in the UK, but when I was in sixth form, so year 11 and 12 here, things got a bit harder it's a different style of learning and my grades went down a little bit because i just wasn't used to putting that much effort in so i wasn't really getting the outcome and like at the same time you know i'm interested in lots of different other stuff and all oh, the the whole boy thing is happening now so you know i wanted to be social i wanted to be out with friends i wanted to go and you know pick up some different hobbies i didn't want to be at school anymore um and i was really excited to finish school and go to university. So not that I didn't love school all the way through, but I think the relationships I have with my teachers, whether I was, you know, nine years old with my year five teacher, Mrs. Armitage, who introduced me to ancient Egypt and studying history and bringing that to life, which was incredible. Or my year eight English teacher, Mrs. Smalley, who did the same thing and made words and stories and plays really come alive and kind of fostered that love of creative writing for me. Those two women in particular, and I've been lucky to speak to Louisa Smalley on the podcast as well. I guess they are the reason that I became a teacher. I wanted to instill that love of learning in the next generation and use my innate creativity that I've always had, which I'm very grateful for, to create exciting learning opportunities and make sure other people could enjoy school as much as I did. So that was a really long-winded way of saying, yes, I love school. <laughs> no, that's beautiful. I love the honesty as well. And I love that you brought up a couple of teachers that really inspired you. That was one of my questions later on. So you've kind of already answered that one, which is fantastic. But it is it is pretty cool when you can have them come onto the podcast. I had Mrs. T, Mrs. Tobias come on last year, and it was just like a bit of a hero moment to have her on the podcast with me as well. So I totally understand what you're saying yeah. there. They do feel like heroes, don't they? It, it was very weird. I, it was a conscious effort to not call them Miss and Sir because I had, I had her husband as well who was my head of year eight and he was really scary. And he, he was still a bit scary. You know, he was scary at 15. He's scary at 35. But, yeah, to call them by their first names, it just it felt very weird. I didn't like it. No, I still went back to Mrs. T, Mrs. Tobias yeah. all the time. I was getting feedback. <laughs> and then did you have a favourite moment from school? Oh, lots of different favorite moments. One that sticks out that I'm really proud of, I think I'm, I must have been 17 or 18 at the time. So I was in sixth form and I was chosen by Mrs. Smalley, actually, who was my English teacher all the way up through school to be the editor of our school newspaper. And I think we had two days off curriculum to work on it. And I had a team and I had different ideas about what was going to go in this paper and I've chosen like journalists from my friend group and the English class to go out and get these stories and write something amazing. We did puzzles and guest writers and that kind of thing. It felt, it, 
it felt chaotic, but it it was such a great experience. We had minimal input from the faculty at the school at the time. And we knew that we had to run out and get it in the post by a particular time to kind of make print. And I can't even remember if we did. I just remember there's a lot of running around and chaotic energy. And I think there was a lot of like crushed Red Bull cans in the room that we were using by the time we'd finished. But that kind of energy working to a deadline, it fills me with a fire and a passion that I wanted to bring across to not just the other members of like the newspaper team, but I wanted to bring that across in the writing that we mm -hmm. created. Who knows what happens to that newspaper, but I will always remember that those couple of days as such an amazing experience at school. Yeah, I was going to say, what a wonderful experience and something that you like continue to talk about and remember, but also an opportunity, like a real life experience, isn't it? That you can then potentially may have gone down that track in the future. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I did have a brief pause in wanting to be a teacher and thought, well, maybe I could be a journalist. And I think I I had a bit of a look at what was kind of involved in that and it was too much pressure. <laughs> so I was like, oh, actually, maybe not. <laughs> Love it. So can you tell me more about yourself, Katie, your teaching journey and now what you're currently doing as well? Yeah, sure. So as I said, uh, after school, I went straight to university um, and did an undergrad in linguistics and the English language, um, which sounds like a bit of a nothing degree, but I absolutely love, as I said, I've, I love history and I love creative writing and language and the use of language. So bringing those two together with the linguistics degree was incredible. Um, part of my degree was in sociolinguistics and I had this amazing lecturer called Peter and I, I wish I could remember his second name, but he grew up in Jamaica. So he would switch from standard English dialect to Jamaican Creole dialect throughout the class. And it was fascinating to watch, you know, and just learning about like different, different dialects around the country. I mean, England is incredible in terms of looking at a diverse range of different accents. We don't really get that in Australia, but that tiny island has so many different accents and dialects. And for me, it was so interesting to see the history of those dialects and where the accents had come from geographically and what had happened historically to make those people kind of group up in different ways and then create the different areas of the UK that we know now. And from that, I took a another course in the following year, which I think it was just standard linguistics. Um, again, an amazing professor. Wish I could remember her name. God, this makes great podcasting, doesn't it? <laughs> um, but the linguistics course broke down the English language into sounds, into phonemes. And we looked at the 44 phonemes of the English language and we looked at the International Phonetic Alphabet and how that kind of fits together. And in that year, I remember doing a lot of transcribing of people talking, um, but putting it into IPA, into the International Phonetic Alphabet to see the differences in accents. So not just hearing them, but actually looking at them visually and comparing two different speakers. And even from, so I grew up in Essex in the Southeast um, of the UK, and even looking at speakers from one end of the county to the other, there was a bit of a difference and that's fascinating. So from that, around that time, I was working as a TA teacher's assistant in a local primary school with year four with my friend, Amy, absolutely loved it. And I started to be part of their phonics program and do a lot of reading with the kids. And it was around that time that I really kind of settled on, yes, I want to teach. So 
during my third year of university, my mum was actually doing her teacher training. So I did the same course as she did the year after, because I'd heard so much about the the course and the lecturers and her pracs and stuff. And it just instilled such an excitement in me and such, um, it kind of rekindled that love of learning. You know, I was bored of linguistics. Now I wanted to move on, have something different. So I decided that I was going to go and do that teaching course. And um, I had an amazing English lecturer, Richard, who did a lot in the teaching and learning of phonics and learning development methodology and bits and pieces. And that that kind of carried on the theme of linguistics and phonology for me and made it mean something. And for me, I need a purpose for learning like lots of our students now. So to have that purpose, that that kind of base knowledge that I'd built up over the last three years and then a purpose for putting that into practice with students was so exciting and I couldn't wait to get into the classroom. So I did, I think I did three pracs that year. My first was in early years and I hated it. I, it was only a week and I had such a terrible time. I was so stressed all the time. I was like, what do you do with these children? Cause I'd gone from year four to year to kindy and it was such a big change and I was stressed out and I was like, well, I'm not doing this. <laughs> um, my second prac was year one, I think. And then my final prac was a year four class in this beautiful school near my mom and dad's house and I actually got the opportunity to teach almost full-time in their final term in their summer term and I did an a unit on ancient Egypt with them so I was able to bring back that passion from my own year four year five schooling into their experience at school and it was incredible we we put on a play together and we did an assembly and we tried a load of traditional Egyptian food and we learned about the culture and we learned songs and music and I could see they were having a great time and it gave me such a sense of, I guess, partly relief that I'm like, oh, I, actually, maybe I can do this. Maybe I can be a teacher. And oh, I don't I don't know what the word for it is. Just I guess I could feel my passion being reflected back to me. And that was really satisfying. That's brought us to the end of my teaching course. Um, and when I graduated, I got a job at the first school that I worked at as a TA. Um, so we're now back the other side of the county where I went to university in Colchester at a, it was a, a church school, a religious school. And I got a job teaching year one. So I'd gone again from year four to year one. And I was so nervous. I was like, oh God, do I want to do this? Why have they put me in year one? Why can't I teach the older kids? And it was a really tough year, actually. The kids weren't bad, but some of the policies and procedures that the school had didn't particularly align with who I was as a teacher but I don't think I realized that actually because I was still very young I was very new to the profession and unfortunately I had a challenging relationship with my mentor my newly qualified teaching mentor and she was the deputy principal of the school and she had some specific ideas about teaching that didn't tally up with what I believed teachers should be. And one very memorable day when I was, I think I was teaching a cooking experience or something and I'd had such a stressful day and there was a load of things that I hadn't done that I should have done. My classroom was a mess. And I said to my TA, the wonderful Amanda, I said, can you please sit them down and read them a story. I'm going to go and just wash up this bowl so we don't have a load of shit in the classroom. And I went to the kitchen. I would have been five minutes tops, but I just needed space to breathe. 
-hmm. And my mentor actually caught me in the corridor as I was walking up and just putting these bowls in. She was like, why aren't you in your classroom? I was like, oh, I'm just, I'm just bringing these out. So there's a bit more space, you know, Amanda's got the kids, it'll be fine. She goes, oh, but the, and she spewed an acronym of something at me that I was meant to know. And it was something like the, the state behavior mentor for schools or something. Mm-hmm. Anyway, some important person was in the school. I didn't know that they were meant to be there. I didn't know who they were. Didn't know what the acronym meant either. So, you know, great idea saying that to me. And I was like, okay, cool. Well, what do you, what would you want me to do? She's like, well, you need to get back there. You need to get back there. And then I remember her saying at the end of the day, she called me and said, Katie, if you keep doing that, you're never going to be a good teacher. So I feel like I've spent the last uh, 10 years or whatever it is trying to disprove that Mm. to myself and to everybody else in education. And I think that's a bit of an ongoing journey. So that conversation with that mentor has been a bit of a, an ongoing theme, I suppose, in my journey, in my career as a teacher and as an educator and something that's informed every decision that I've made, every training that I've taken on, every experience that I've planned and executed in the classroom um, and every relationship that I've made as a teacher, as an experienced teacher, as a leader, et cetera, et cetera, because I don't ever want anybody to a think I'm a terrible teacher and b feel like they're a terrible teacher um Mm -hmm. yeah I don't know how you could do that as a mentor anyway so from there so I left that school at the end of the year uh so I was only there a year and I got a maternity cover position in another fantastic school um a bit closer to home and I taught year two and by that time I think I was kind of used to, to younger children and I had no desire to go and teach above year three anymore And I had a fantastic couple of years with them. And I had an amazing partner teacher, Claire Stora, who, as far as I know, is still at that school. And I learned so much from her. And I learned so much about being a good teacher and being a bit more organized. Because by nature, I'm not an organized person at all. I'm a bit scatty. Um, I am not very good at organizing myself or, yeah, anyway. And you, you, honestly, you just had to walk in my classroom to realize that there was just stuff everywhere all the time. It used to drive my mum mad at the end of the term when she used to come and help me pack up. It was terrible. She says, Katie, why don't you put that stuff away? I'm like, where? There is literally nowhere to put this. Um, so I had a great time at that school, learned a lot. And then at the end of the year, I got an opportunity to move to Australia. It was meant to be a three-week holiday, turned into the last 11 years here. Um, and one of my first jobs when I got here was in a preschool, like in a daycare. And then from there, I, I moved around a little bit and kind of established myself as a preschool teacher. So I'd found myself back in the early years again, not really knowing how I got there, but also not wanting to move on really from teachers who have moved over from Europe or other countries to Australia will know what an arsake it is to become a qualified teacher in Australia, even if you've already got the qualifications, it's a pain, something needs to change. But um, essentially, I had to do a follow up qualification in early years to teach here in early years, even though my English qualification covered me from zero to 12. So I did, uh, I did that and I became an ECT in Australia um, and I did that for a few years and absolutely loved it. I felt like I had so much more creativity, uh, room for creativity within preschool, within that kind of three to five age group. And I think 
for that age group, for me, I really saw those learning methodologies and pedagogies that you learn about at uni come to life. You could see it happening in front of you. You can see when kids are in their zone of proximal development, you know, you can actually see that actively happening. And that was fascinating for me. And also being at that stage with the kids where they are learning to use expressive language and they're learning to regulate themselves and learning to create relationships and being able to be a part of that for me just felt like such an honor like you said right mm. it really is a magical time to be a part of a child's life in their educational career and i'm very lucky that i got that, that opportunity so while i was there i was trying to kind of implement lots of things that i would learned from formal education from mainstream primary school into the preschool to make sure they were actually getting meaningful learning opportunities and it wasn't just six hours of finger painting i wanted to fight against the societal view i guess that we have in australia that early as educators are babysitters mm -hmm. because that's not true and there's a lot of expectations in early years and in preschools you know it's it's very difficult for me to listen to people call early years education centers daycares because they're not just daycares yes. um and i find myself getting quite defensive about it because people have no idea what goes on there you know some some teachers if they're high school teachers and have never stepped into an early years setting really don't believe that there's anything you know significant that happens there so I wanted to show people and I wanted to show even the leadership structure at the preschool that this is a great opportunity for meaningful learning experiences. And this is how you do it in the early years. And this is how you meet the expectations of the children and the families and make sure they have some uh, a good academic foundation to hold them up for when they go into primary school. And there was a few challenges there. There was a few people that didn't agree with me. So um, I moved on a little bit and I moved around and ended up at a couple of different preschools in Sydney until I kind of got bored of the politics of it. And I ran out of energy to fight against the system. And I ran out of energy to argue with parents about, I don't know, name anything, you know, <laughs> got a list of complaints that they think I should be a part of. Some of them rightly so, of course. But yeah, I think I ran out of energy and I needed to do something else. And I'll tell you right now, Todd, I was terrified to leave the classroom mm -hmm. because who's going to employ an ex-teacher? What else can we do? And I've had this conversation with a couple of guests on Cold Coffee, No Glue Sticks, but I think when you're deep in, in such a classroom lifestyle, you've, you know you've got a set of skills and you know that you can do pretty much anything with 30 tiny people. But what can you do outside that? How else are you going to be able to make money at the end of the day? Mm. And I found this amazing role with a creative agency in Sydney that focused on education. And I became an education manager for them. So I was working for them, creating school programs for different organizations, um, some government groups, non-government, like different charities, either creating lesson plans or different resources. And that was so exciting. Um, it was a completely different direction. I was like part of like a cool creative marketing team. And oh my God, I feel like a real adult. And you know, just having that first day when I could go and get a cup of coffee and keep it hot and just sit down and not have 25 different people yelling my name. It was a revelation. <laughs> 
Yeah. So I kind of never looked back from there and I've extended that I've, Interestingly, I've stayed within education and I think I've always known that I'm a teacher at heart and I want to, and I think I know that I'm good at it, which sounds really big headed uh, to say, and, you know, excuse me for tooting my own horn, but I, I, I think I'm good at what I do and I'm good at thinking creatively. And that makes me good at lots of different things. Mm -hmm. So whether that was creating lesson plans for different companies or whether it's, you know, doing what I do now. So I'm, now I work as a producer. So I make education videos for different audiences. And I think I'm quite good at that. And I think that's because I was a teacher. So yeah, that was a really long chat, wasn't it? Sorry. No, not at all. I loved it. I thank you so much for being so honest and, and sharing your career, Katie. It's been an amazing and wonderful career. It's only been a short career, but you've been able to fit and jam pack so much in there so far already. <laughs> yeah. So very impressive work. And I think, I think, as you said, once you're a teacher, I think you're always, you're always going to be a teacher. And I think it's wonderful that you're still part of the education system and still mm. involved and doing some wonderful things that you're doing now. So uh, I think it's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. And you kind of talked a little bit about this, but what was the reason you just said that you, you wanted to be a teacher? There's a, there's a few different reasons. And I think I've built up a library of reasons as my career has gone on. I think at its core though, and at the very start, I wanted to be a teacher because it looked fun. Mm -hmm. My mom was always a teacher she was a nursery teacher first. And then she was in, she was a TA and then she was um, a primary teacher. And on sick days when I was little, I would go in with her. And even when I was a bit older and, you know, wanted to wag off school, I would go in and have a day with her and, you know, do reading with the kids or help her with laminating or cutting out and decorating and bits and pieces. And I loved the energy of a classroom. I, love, I think it just felt familiar and it, it really was my happy place growing up. Like I loved being at school. So I think, I don't know, maybe, maybe I need to talk to my therapist about that actually. Like <laughs> I didn't want to exit the classroom too soon, but yeah, it just looked fun. Mm -hmm. I loved, I, like my impression of a classroom was somewhere that was always full of smiles and bright colors and endless opportunities. And I think I just wanted to take that into my adult life. Yeah, no, I love that. That's a great answer. I think, yeah, I feel like I'm pretty similar to you in that regard as well. Like I think it was going through schooling and having so many wonderful moments and opportunities and all that kind of thing. I think it was like, oh yeah, this, this is a great career. This is a great option for me yeah. going down the track as well. Yeah, definitely. So what would be your greatest challenge you've had so far as a teacher? Um, I think my greatest challenge is disproving to myself that I'm not a good teacher. I think we underestimate the impact that words can have on people, whether that's teachers to children or peer to peer or leaders that say things off the cuff that perhaps shouldn't be said. Mm -hmm. um, I think there are lots of different ways to reflect on your practice and lots of different opportunities to improve ourselves as teachers. And, you know, sometimes as young teachers we need someone to lean on to help us see those journeys of improvement but i don't think the way to do that is to label someone a bad teacher for the rest of their career in the first year of their career and you know 10 years later i can see that what she did was unprofessional very unhelpful and just not friendly why would you say no. that to someone yeah so 
yeah, I think the challenge that I put myself on that day in that evening at that specific time when she said that was, okay, my job now is to prove to you that I'm not that person, that I am a good teacher and that I can do this job. And because I'm slightly competitive, I also added, I'm going to prove to you that I'm better than you. So that has been challenging because I don't know. I think lots of different teachers I know do the same thing. And I think we, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves anyway, to be good educators in inverted commas. And sometimes that means overloading ourselves with, you know, to-do lists as long as our arms, to make sure our classrooms are perfect. It might mean putting in insane amount of hours. It might mean coming into school in your holidays. It looks different for different people, but I think whatever that looks like, it's an internal pressure you know, even being out of the classroom hasn't really eased that because I've taken the challenge, I guess, to be the best person I possibly can be into every role that that I've got since then. But yeah, like t 10 to 11 years ago, someone said to me that I was never going to be a good teacher and it stuck with me. Mm. So yeah, an ongoing challenge and one that I've really tried to really tried to decrease the importance of as I've got older, because that's not who I am anymore. And I don't, I don't need her validation. I don't mm. need, um, I don't need people to see me as a good teacher anymore because I'm not a practicing class teacher anymore. So, but it is hard, isn't it? It's hard to separate yourself from the role of teacher. Once you are a teacher, I, yeah. I'll always think of myself as a teacher. So. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think you're hundred percent right. Those words do affect you. And I had an experience when I was in primary school and my principal at the time kind of said some pretty harsh words to me that I didn't, she said pretty much said that I don't think you're going to go anywhere in your life. And I, that just stuck with me forever and, and still does. I've, I've moved on it from now, but as you said, that competitiveness of me and I'm like, no, I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm actually going to get somewhere and achieve some great things in my life and, and do some wonderful things. And I did actually get to meet her a, a number of years later um, and when she ended up coming to our school for something so I didn't have to say anything at all but I just knew that yeah well I was just like well here I am so but that you are right those words that's just an off-the-cuff comment but that actually does affect people along the way for sure yeah. and it's, it lasts there it stays there yeah it really does what was it like for you did you like did you see her were you nervous probably initially I was a bit like oh, oh this is the person who made that comment but then I was like well like, here I am, this is what I'm doing. These are the great things I'm doing now. So it was just like a bit of like a, hmm, see, I, yeah. <laughs> I have got somewhere. Bit of a bit of a proud <laughs> moment, I guess. Yeah, good, good. I think it, it takes a certain type of person to turn that kind of anger at someone who said something like that to you into personal pride, into a bit of a smugness, actually. It's like, no, fuck you. I have made something of myself. <laughs> you better eat your words. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. So well done. Yeah. <laughs> and then what's been your proudest moment so far as a teacher? Oh, geez. My proudest moment as a teacher, every time I taught a kid to read, which is the same thing as Gabby Stroud said when I spoke to her a few months ago, but it's, it is just something else, isn't it? Something, that little moment when you see a kid, a very small child 
use the strategies you've taught them or even see the moment something clicks and suddenly they can do something and their little eyes go wide and their mouth drops open and it's like oh my god and you can feel the self-belief going into them it's incredible and I, you know i'm very lucky my sister's got a beautiful daughter my niece freya and i can see it with her when i was over there last year and I, we were able to do such cool things together and seeing those little moments in her was amazing i've got a nephew jack over here who it, you know he's the same age and he's three and a half so i'm seeing those moments with him and i'm i'm lucky that i still get to interact with small children in that way and almost kind of role play being a teacher again <laughs> yeah, love it. yeah proud moments i think for me are defined maybe this is a bit narcissistic but defined when i can play a part in a in a child's development for a specific reason mm. so yeah there's there's a few of them i think another proud moment is keeping going even though people expected me not to mm -hmm. yeah whether that was teaching or moving to a different country and finding a stable job or starting a podcast you know podcasting is not easy when i did the first episode i was very very nervous and you know, you, you underestimate how long it takes to edit an episode, especially if we are looking at our hour and a half <laughs> audio files. It's not easy. Um, and when you're doing it all yourself, it's a lot of extra time. So, I, you know, I never expected myself to get to the end of season two, let alone 10 episodes in, you know. So, I don't know, I'm pretty proud of myself for that. Yeah, no, awesome. I love all those ones. But no, I'm totally with you with the podcasting. <laughs> I think uh, the editing side of things, I'd love to have it just a personal editor on the oh, side. Wouldn't that, that be do, great? Do all the editing for me <laughs> for no cost or anything like that. <laughs> um, That'd be great. Yeah, That'd be awesome. Exactly. But no, it is. It is a pretty proud moment to be doing things like this. It's pretty exciting. So no, that's awesome. So you were talking about this as well just before. So what made you move to Australia? Oh, I moved to Australia. Well, originally it was meant to be a three week holiday. So I was coming over for my friend Claire's wedding. I went to uni with her and she lived here and um, she invited me and my friend Rachel over for her wedding. Meant to be a three week holiday. And I was seeing a guy at the time who was working over in WA. So he flew here to meet me to go to the wedding together. And I loved Sydney so much that in the middle of that three week holiday, I realized that I wanted to stay. I didn't have anywhere to be back at home. I didn't have a stable job back at home. I just finished a maternity contract. So I changed my visa and stayed and moved to the middle of Sydney. I moved into Piermont actually. So I was right in the thick of it, right in the middle of everything. The thing that gets me about Australia is, there's a couple of things, but the main thing is that it's gonna sound really stupid. <laughs> the sky is bigger over here. Yep, yep. <laughs> And I realized that every time I flew back and forth to Heathrow and I get off the plane at Sydney and I walk out the airport and there feels like so much more space here. Mm -hmm. There's space for growth and space for happiness and space for opportunities that I don't feel back in the UK. So it feels truly now, 11 years later, it feels like coming home when I fly into Sydney, yeah. which is such a great feeling. And the people are happier here. And I don't know whether Australians are going to believe me when I say that, but honestly, <laughs> it feels feels like a happier place. I mean, how could you not be? Look at the amazing place that we live. 
And, you know, it's a bit of a thrill. Like I'm in the middle of Sydney and it's still a bit of a thrill every time I go down to Circular Quay and see the Opera House and the bridge, you know. Growing up as a tiny child, my nan and granddad went to, um, came over to Sydney to visit family when I was about, I must have been about three, two or three, and they always had a fridge magnet of the Opera House in their house and it was sparkling. It had a koala on it. So I remember seeing that and now, like, 30-ish years later, I live in that place where they got it from. They only went once and I'm lucky enough to live here. Yeah, it's cool. No, that's beautiful. That's a great story. No, I love that. That's fantastic. Thanks. And we're glad to have you in Australia, that's for sure. <laughs> Thanks. And you were talking about your early years teaching just before. So have you got any teaching tips when it comes to early years education? You were mentioning a lot of the phonic stuff. You're probably ahead of the game because it's such a, a big thing now. But have you got any yeah, little teaching tips around early years education? Uh, I don't know if I'm the right person to give teaching tips. I'm very out of practice. I've not been a practicing teacher for four years. I think the thing about early years is it's a world of opportunity, both for the kids and for educators at that age. And I was lucky enough to speak to the amazing Alistair Bryce Clegg. If you don't know him, go and check him out on abcdoes.com, I think. He's an early year specialist and he talks a lot about creating meaningful learning opportunities with early years that are based on opportunity. So, for example, for me, it was um, making sure they had opportunities to explore the real world in a play setting. So whether that was using real world props in the role play or changing it to reflect different scenarios every other week or bringing their outside world into the classroom so they could explore it in a safe and meaningful way and connect it to different learning opportunities across the curriculum i think it was all that like i for me i believe in holistic learning for for all ages but i think it's quite easy to do that in the early years because there are so many opportunities you have to develop social and emotional learning along with literacy development along with an exploration of the natural world and you know baby physics even along with mathematics skills at that age group there are so many different things you can do and we're very lucky to be living in a world where there's so many awesome educators that are putting their ideas and resources out there for teachers to pick and choose and employ within their own classrooms in terms of tips though I think the main tip is just to be open to new ideas mm -hmm. and take ideas from the children because sometimes they come up with some really cool stuff and yeah, it takes a bit of pressure off you then. Yeah. <laughs> exactly right. And do you feel like Australia is going down the right track with the phonic stuff that's all being discussed and talked about at the moment? I think so. I think mm. phonics is obviously a huge part of our education system and it's it's really important to give children those skills to be able to decode our language however i think there is some room for diversity in the way we teach based on what children need obviously there's a lot of different phonics schemes out there and depending on which school you're at you might be doing the science of reading you might be doing read write ink you might be doing lessons and sounds there you know there's a whole load of different choices when it comes to teaching phonics but i think what we sometimes forget to do is think of phonics from a student-centered approach and that doesn't mean thinking in bands or abilities or you know this group of children are going to do this next this group of children are going to do this next we're amazingly lucky in australia to have our first nations communities living among us and being able to 
connect with them to learn about those languages and incorporating those into the classrooms is incredible. And we can learn so much about decoding and phonics in the English language by looking at other languages and the way they're structured. So and it's really exciting because I know that some schools in the Northern Territory, especially, are working with First Nations community really, really closely to bring dying languages back to life through the classroom, which is so, so cool. Mm. Um, so I think sometimes for for younger children, because their brains are so elastic anyway, looking at another language to be able to learn our own language and be able to read and write our own language is a really exciting opportunity that perhaps shouldn't be ignored. Yeah, excellent. No, thank you. And then obviously you said you moved from early years and you moved into like education, design and marketing. Have you been enjoying this new little role and challenge and different experience? Yeah, I love it. I love it. It gives me an opportunity to be creative without classroom politics, which is always good. Yeah. What I was, oh, the other thing about that was being a in a creative agency, it's very fast paced. It's very dynamic. You know, things need to be done yesterday, which is, you know, fairly common for teachers. So I fit into that environment quite well. But, you know, being able to experience different things. So, for example, back in 20, I think it was 2019 or 2018, I worked with the T20 World Cup cricket group to create their World Cup program that was K to 12. Now, I had no experience teaching high school. I was lucky enough to be able to practice in inverted commas, probably not very well in brackets delivering a couple of lessons in high school situations to demonstrate the themes of what we were trying to get through with this World Cup program. And, you know, there was a film crew there and I met some cricketers and I was able to travel. I was back and forth to Melbourne every other week. Like it was so exciting. It was exhausting in a different way to teaching, but it was really exciting. And I kind of knew that I needed to be in a job that would allow me to be creative, have touch points with education, and to travel because they're the they're the three things that I really love to do. And I've been lucky enough to find a second job now that still allows me to do those things. Yeah, beautiful. It sounds like you got the best of like both worlds being able to do those three things you just mentioned there. Yeah, I think so. I mean, the side of education, primary education anyway, or mainstream education doesn't really come into my current role a whole lot. So I was kind of missing that. But just before I got this job, my current nine to five job, I started the podcast because I realized actually I was missing that creative outlet, but also missing those incidental conversations about teaching and learning with teachers, with people that were actually practicing the craft and doing amazing things in classrooms. So yeah, I figured I'd start the podcast and now I've got the best of all three worlds, I think. <laughs> yeah, excellent. And do you think you'll ever go back to the classroom? You know, lots of people ask me this. I don't know if I could hack it at the moment. Teachers are not having a good time. Yeah, I don't know if I want to do that to myself, to be honest. Sounds really selfish, but no, nah, I, I don't think I could do it and enjoy my life the way I'm enjoying it at the moment. But saying that, I do miss the classroom and I miss seeing those little learning moments that we talked mm. about. So I don't know, maybe it's not completely off the table, but I think lots of things need to change before I go back to full-time teaching. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's great honesty and, and you've got to look after yourself as well. That's the main thing. And if you're 100%. enjoying what you're doing, that's the main thing. If you enjoy your job, that's that's a huge tick. Yes, definitely. 
So you've been mentioning this and it's uh, fantastic. You have your own podcast, Cold Coffee, No Glue Sticks. What a fantastic <laughs> name. I love it. It's so true. I've actually got a cold coffee sitting here as we've yeah. been talking. So what was the reason that you wanted to, and you've, you've talked about this a little bit, but what's the reason you decided that you wanted to create a podcast and go down that track? Well, part of it, as I said, was missing the creativity, missing those conversations and connections with different educators. They're kind of my tribe, you know, as soon as I meet teachers, I know that I'm going to get on with them. Um, and I kind of missed that in my job. The other part of it was I always get a bit defensive when people talk about teachers and beliefs about school. And, you know, we only work nine to three and looking at all the holidays and, oh, you guys get so much time off. What are you complaining about? Like people have absolutely no bloody idea what happens in a classroom. Yeah. And the worst thing is the media don't report the truth. I mean, it's not exactly breaking news, but we know that teachers are unfairly portrayed in our media. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to create a platform for teachers to basically big themselves up and be like, hey, look at all the shit that I do during the day. Look at all the stuff that I have to deal with. And I guess the, um, the dreamer in me wanted to create an outlet for teachers that policy makers would listen to and be like, oh, maybe we do actually need to listen to teachers before we start changing education, which isn't going to happen. But, you know, it's there if they want to listen to it. Mm. And I'm very lucky that I've had so, so much interest in the podcast for a start, so many amazing guests and so many people that are willing to share their stories and aren't scared of saying, no, actually, this is shit sometimes and things need to change. And I am consistently amazed by all of the amazing, strong, resilient, creative professionals that put their well-being on the line every single day to give 30 small beings an amazing experience at school. I don't think many other professions do that. So I wanted to highlight that through the podcast. Yeah, beautiful. Love that. And yeah, as I said, I feel very similar to the way and the reasons why I started mine. So no, that's excellent. And do you have a favourite part about podcasting? You've mentioned a few there, but yeah, is there a certain just favourite part that you're really enjoying when you do an episode? I think connection is a big thing for me. I love meeting people. I love talking to people. I love learning their stories. And I think teachers are genuinely the most interesting people on the planet. We have so many different skills and we never... You know, the saying is you're not just a teacher. You're right. You've just got to look at any individual teacher and dive into their motivations and their classroom values and their experiences that they've they've come up with to teach, you know, A, B and C and come out with X, Y, Z. And the stories from classrooms, they're, they fascinate me and they make me laugh and I hope they do that for other people. Yeah. Yeah, excellent. And as you're mentioning, as you get to meet so many different people that you wouldn't normally wouldn't normally meet. Like I wouldn't have met you. We wouldn't have had the chat that we're yeah. having right now if it wasn't for doing something like this. And I've learned so much. And I think I was talking to you yesterday about it. it's like the best PD you can get as well as a teacher, just being able to listen to people's stories and ideas and resources and all those different things as well. It's been yeah, amazing experience. So I'm glad you're enjoying as much as I do as well. Yeah. And I love it. And, you know, my dad always said to me, if you don't ask, you don't get. And I think podcasting is a really good role to be in a good opportunity to have to practice that a little bit. You know, I reached out to you. I said, hey, Todd, want to do a pod swap? And I don't know if I dare do that if I didn't have 
my podcast that you know happens to be going fairly well at the moment I'm you know I'm not expecting that it'll be forever but right at the moment I feel like I've got a good platform to be able to reach out first and create those connections and that's really cool mm, absolutely no love it and then so what's one teaching resource you couldn't live without I don't think I have got any one thing in particular because I'm running through like lessons in you in my head but I think the one constant is children's willingness to be a part of it if you can get kids excited about participating in something you're almost halfway there with a lot of different things mm -hmm. so you know I don't know whether I could choose one book or one sport resource or one you know I don't think there is just one of anything I think my best resource is my passion for education and I think if I can bring that to the kids then I'm halfway there yeah no I love that that's great <laughs> fantastic what a cop out answer <laughs> not at all so anyone wanting to get in contact with you Katie or listen to the podcast how can they go about getting in contact and listening yeah, so podcast is Cold Coffee No Glue Sticks and I'm on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and various other platforms that I didn't choose, but apparently it's on there anyway. I'm on Instagram, come and follow me at Cold Coffee No Glue Sticks Pod. And I'm actually in the process of creating a landing page where you can send in suggestions and get in contact with me through there as well. Beautiful, love it. Well, I'll put that all in the show notes as well so people can uh, go and click on those uh, once they've listened to this episode. Thank you. Uh, before we finish today, Katie, are you happy to play a little game? Oh, absolutely. I love a game. Let's Beautiful. This is called Todd Stock Exchange. Uh, and you can either buy, hold, or sell it. So if you if you whatever I say, if you like it, you'll buy it. If you're unsure, you'll hold it. And then obviously, if you're not getting around it, you're selling it. Okay. All right, hit me. Radio. First one is a staff meeting. Oh my God, sell it. Sell all of those. Get rid of them. They're useless. They could have been an email. Love it. Yard duty, buy, hold, sell. Sell, get rid of it. Get more people into schools so we can put those duties off onto support staff. Sorry, we love you, your angels, but honestly, we don't have time. Exactly. I get like this one because it was a good theme of our chat yesterday. Chisel tip whiteboard marker, <laughs> buy, hold, sell. <laughs> buy, 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 all of them. Honestly, I would sell my soul for a working whiteboard marker some days. Yep, yeah, no, love it. I'm still looking for that sponsorship. I haven't had any any contact yet. <laughs> uh, what about tin tuna in the staff room? Buy, hold, sell. No, absolutely. Go and fuck yourself. That needs to be sold. All of it. Disgusting. It's not great, is it? No. <laughs> uh, what about a wet day timetable? So you obviously have to stay inside. Buy, hold, sell. Oh, that's a tricky one. I'm going to go hold on that only because sometimes it can be a novelty to be inside on playtime. Obviously it creates a bit more stress for teachers some days, but you know, I quite like to wet playtime. I liked getting out the board games and being cozy and watching the rain from outside. So yeah, I'm going to hold that one. Yeah, like it. Should schools pay for coffee and tea consumed by staff? Buy, hold, sell? Mm, yes, buy, I think. Definitely. Schools that expect teachers to provide their own tea and coffee need to get in the bin. Um, I'm not sure when that became an expectation, but if you can't provide basic services that look after your teacher's well-being and stress levels, then you know perhaps you need to take a long, hard look at your leadership. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, what about 
hoarding coffee cups in the classroom and then bring him back into the staff room on a Friday. Buy, hold, sell. Oh my God. Now this is difficult because I definitely used to be that person. <laughs> it's so bad. It's so bad. Obviously it should be a sell, but because I'm a hot mess of a person, it's got to be a hold because I definitely did that. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> and then the last one is podcasting. Buy, hold, sell. Bye, bye, bye. We are so lucky to have such a range of teacher podcasts available to us. There are some amazing people doing amazing podcasts out there. Uh, one of my favorites, Teacher Takeaway Podcast with the amazing Mr. J and Alice Vigors, just got 100,000 downloads. And isn't that incredible that there's such a community of fellow education passionate people that want to share those ideas and want to listen and want to be part of hyping teachers up in our society. There are some incredible teachers out there and we can learn so much from everyone. So I feel very lucky to be a part of that community. Yeah, no, excellent. Great response there. And yeah, I love the teacher takeaway. They're a wonderful podcast. It's a must They're listen. The OGs, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah exactly right. Congratulations, Katie. I'll give you the win. You smashed that game. Wow. Sorry, I feel like I was talking at you for a lot of that. Oh, that's what it's about. Just bang, <laughs> smash out the answers. It was wonderful. So, no, great job. And that's actually the end of the podcast, Katie. So I just want to say thank you so much for coming on today. And thank you so much for suggesting about doing a podcast switch. It was fantastic. I've loved chatting to you. You're doing an absolutely outstanding job in what you're doing in your career, but then also the amazing job you're doing pumping up teachers and chatting to teachers on podcasting and, and doing all that. I think it's absolutely wonderful. So yeah, just keep up the wonderful job you're doing both in your career and all with the podcast stuff. I can't wait to listen to all the episodes you've got coming up in the future as well. So yeah, just keep up the amazing job you're doing. Oh, stop it. Stop it. You're doing an amazing job as well. And I'm, I'm very lucky to be, um, yeah, part of this supportive, incredibly creative and wonderful community in Australia. And, you know, hopefully globally as well there's teachers listening to us knowing that they're not alone so that's why we do this yeah, yeah thank beautiful. you so much yeah no i'll see you later katie look forward right. to talking to you soon thanks todd see ya bye bye and that is the end of the 39th episode of the Toddcaster Teacher Podcast. It was awesome having Katie come on, a fellow podcaster, and getting to chat to her about her amazing career she's had so far, and now everything she's doing in regards to her podcast and all the great things she's doing in education design and marketing. Hopefully you also got a lot out of this podcast. If you haven't already, make sure you go and check out our podcast, Cold Coffee No Glue Sticks. It is an absolutely outstanding podcast. She's got some wonderful guests, some similar ones that I've also had as well, which is awesome. So make sure you go and check it out. And I cannot wait for you to join me in a couple of weeks time for the next episode of the Toddcast. See you later.